0: CHAPTER 36 OF LOVER OR FRIEND BY ROSA Carry. HOW CAN I BEAR IT? THROUGH THAT GLOOM HE WILL SEE BUT A SHADOW APPEARING, PERCEIVE BUT A VOICE AS I COME TO HIS SIDE, But DEEPER THEIR VOICE GROWS, AND NOBLER THEIR BEARING, WHOSE YOUTH IN THE fires OF ANGUISH HATH DIED. MATTHEW ARNOLD Michael was trying to frame a suitable reply to this speech, that was at once so tragic and hopeless when Matt suddenly turned to him and said in a strangely altered voice, "'I want you to tell me one thing, sir. Why does she call herself Blake?' "'I am afraid I cannot enlighten you on that point,' returned Michael, after a moment's consideration. "'Probably it was the first name that occurred to her. You will allow that it is short and handy, and that it is by no means conspicuous.' But this answer did not seem to satisfy Matthew O'Brien. An uneasy, almost suspicious look came into his eyes. "'I suppose it does not mean,' he continued, hesitating over his words, "'that she, Olive, has put herself under another man's protection.' "'Good heavens, O'Brien!' exclaimed Michael in a shocked voice. "'How can you wrong your wife so? With all her sins, I do not believe she is that sort of woman.' "'You mistake me, sir,' returned Matt doggedly. "'And in a way you mistake Olive, too. She has not got the notions of other women.' She would not think things wrong that would horrify other folk. When she gave me up, she said that she should consider herself free, and she might even make it straight with her conscience to marry another man who would be a better protector to her and the children. I do not say Olive has done this, but if it be so, by the powers above, Captain Bennett, I will have the law of her there. So let her and the other fellow look out for themselves. There is no need to excite yourself, so O'Brien. Your wife is too much of a woman of the world to get herself into that sort of trouble. Her love for her eldest son is her master passion, and I do not suppose she has even given a thought to another man. I am glad to hear it, Captain, but Olive has fooled me once, and I doubted but she might have done it again. Perhaps you may not have heard it, but she would never have married me if Darrell, Major Darrell, he was, and not jilted her. She told me once, to spite me, that she worshipped the ground the fellow trod on, and he was a cad. Confound him. One of those light-hearted gentry who dance with girls and make love to them and then boast of their conquests. But he had a way with him, and she never cared for anyone again. She has told me so again and again in her tantrums. My poor fellow, returned Michael pityingly. You may at least be easy on one point. Mrs. Blake, or Mrs. O'Brien, as I suppose you must call her, has certainly led an exemplary life since she left you. "'devoting herself to her children and especially to her eldest son. "'Matt made no answer. "'His brief excitement had faded, "'and he now resumed his old dejection of manner. "'He lent his head on his hand again and looked into the fire, "'but by and by he roused himself from his abstraction. "'Cyril has grown up a fine, handsome fellow, I hear. "'I suppose he has Olive's good looks. "'He is very like her, certainly.' He is a good-looking man and exceedingly clever. Any father might feel proud of such a son. And he is to marry the young lady I saw here the other day. I forget her name, but she is the daughter of the chief boss down here. Michael gave a faint shudder. Her name is... Miss Ross. Oh, yes, I remember now. Tom says the marriage will be broken off, but we will talk of that presently. I want to hear something about the other little chap, Kester. "'He has not got his brother's good health, I am sorry to say.' "'And here Michael gave a short sketch of Kester's boyish accident "'and of results that followed. "'He can walk very fairly now,' he continued, "'and will soon lay aside his crutch, "'but I fear he will never make a strong man.' "'Dear, dear,' returned Matt in a sorrowful tone, "'and to think of the active little monkey he used to be. "'Why, I can see him now, mounted aloft on my shoulder "'and holding me round the neck.' till I was fairly choked, and the other lad clasped me round the knee and hallowing out that he wanted to ride Dada too, though I had never seemed to care to see me play with them. We made so much noise, she said. Dear, dear, and to think of the poor chap on crutches. And there is Molly too, she was only a baby when I saw her last, such a fat, rosy little thing. Molly is a fine-groomed girl, and as nice a child as you would wish to see. We are all very fond of her. Well, she has kept her word and done her duty to them. "'And now look here, sir, you just bring me somewhere where I can see the youngsters "'and hear them talk, and I will promise you to keep dark "'and not let out to them that I'm their father. "'I will just have a look at them, and then I will never trouble them again.' "'What on earth do you mean, O'Brien?' "'I mean that is right, and that they're better without me,' returned Matt dejectedly. "'Do you suppose they would have any love in their hearts "'for a father who could only bring disgrace on them?' "'No, sir, I am not going to stand in their light.' and spoil their lives for them. I have given them up to Olive, and she seems to have done her best for them. Let the youngster have his sweetheart, and I will just bide here quietly with Tom, or if you think that Braille is too near, I will put the seas between us again, and you can tell Olive so if you like. I shall tell her nothing of the kind, O'Brien, returned Michael, much touched at this generosity on the part of the poor prodigal. I will not deny that this is the very thing that she suggested. She even begged me to propose this to you but I refused. Do you suppose that either I or my cousin, Dr. Ross, would connive at such deceit and falsehood? It is quite true that Mrs. Blake and her children may refuse to have anything to do with you, but that is solely their affair. In a few hours, Mr. O'Brien, your eldest son will be made aware of his father's existence. I am sorry to hear it, sir, returned Matt in a weak, hopeless voice. You will make a great mistake. Nothing good will come of it. She will teach the youngsters to loathe my very name. And as for the lad, here he spoke with strong emotion. He will be ready to curse me for spoiling his life. No, no, sir, let sleeping dogs lie. Better let me keep dark and bring trouble to no one. But Michael shook his head. Such double-dealing and deceit could only deepen the mischief. Dr. Ross will never give his sanction to his daughter's marriage. He Has assured me so most solemnly. Whatever trouble comes... "'would be of your wife's causing.' "'But Matt would not agree to this. "'She meant no harm, sir. "'Holly have always had a curious idea "'of right and wrong, "'and she did her best for the youngsters. "'According to your account, "'she has brought them up well "'and sent the lad to Oxford. "'Fancy a son of mine being such a swell, "'and engaged to that young lady too. "'Lord, when I think of it, "'I am ready to wish I had never left the bush.' "'It is no use wishing that now, Mr. O'Brien. "'No, sir.' and it is no use talking over what can't be mended. If you have made up your mind to tell the lad it is pretty plain that I can't hinder you, but I will not lift a finger to help you, I will just stop where I am. I think perhaps that will be best under the circumstances. But all the same, it makes me uncommon restless to fear that Olive and the youngsters are only three miles off, and I can't get at them. Put yourself in my place, sir, and you would not find it very pleasant.' And there's Tom, too, with all his fine-hearted Christianity, bowing vengeance on Olive and threatening to turn her away from the door if she ever dares to show her face here. I do not think that she will ever molest you or your brother. I am quite of your opinion, Captain. Olive will give me a pretty wide berth, unless it is her interest to see me, and then all Tom's rough speeches wouldn't turn her from her purpose. Her tenacity in getting her own way i would back her against any woman. "'Well, as you say, there is nothing to be gained by talking,' returned Michael, rising from his chair. But at this moment, Mr. O'Brien entered. "'I hope I'm not interrupting you, Captain, but it is getting late, and I was thinking that you'd take a snack with us. The women are dishing up the dinner, just a baked shoulder of mutton and potatoes under it. We are plain folk, but Prissy and I will be glad and proud if you will join us, sir.' And after a moment's hesitation, Michael consented. He had no idea how late it was. They would already be sitting down to luncheon at Woodcut. It would be better for him to take some food before he set out on his cold drive home. "'If you will allow me to leave you directly afterwards,' he observed, and as Matt left the room that moment, he took the opportunity to give Mr. O'Brien a brief resume of the conversation. "'He begged me to keep it all dark,' he finished. "'He's thinking more of his children than himself, but I told him—' that such a course would be impossible. And you spoke the truth, sir, and no good would come of such crookedness. But Matt meant well. The lad has a good heart, and I do not doubt he has a sore conscience when he thinks of all the evil he has wrought. Leave him with me, sir. I can manage him best. There, I hear Prissy calling to us. We will just take our places. Michael felt faint and weary, and the homely viands seemed very palatable to him. But he noticed how Matthew O'Brien's want of appetite "'seemed to distress his brother. "'You're eating not, lad,' he kept saying at intervals, once he bade Prissy fetch the remains of a meat pie "'that Matt had enjoyed the previous days. "'Maybe he will find it more toothsome,' he said in his hearty way, "'but Matt would have nothing to say to it. "'You let me be, Tom,' he said at last. "'A man has not always got stomach for his food. "'The captain has taken away my appetite with his talk, "'and the sight of the meat makes me sick.' "'And then he got up from the table,' and they saw him pacing up and down the garden with his pipe. Michael got away as soon as possible, and Mr. O'Brien walked with him to the inn. When the dog cart was brought out, he shook his hand very heartily. Let me know how things go on, Captain, and God bless you. And then, as though by an afterthought, if the girl gives you trouble, send her to me, and I will just talk the sense into her. And then he stood in the road and watched, until the dog cart and driver were out of sight. Afternoon work had begun as Michael entered Woodcut, but he found Dr. Ross alone in the study. "'I have only a few minutes to give you, Michael,' he said, looking up from the letter he was writing. "'I expected you back at least two hours ago.' Then Michael gave him a concise account of his interview with the brothers. "'Thomas O'Brien is a grand old fellow,' he said enthusiastically. "'You should have heard him talk, Dr. Ross. And as for poor Matt, he has the makings of a good fellow about him, too,' Only the devil somehow spoiled the batch. Would you believe it? The poor beggar wanted to efface himself, to clear it out altogether for the sake of the youngsters, as he called them. He was not very polished in his language, but what can you expect? Still, he meant well. I dare say he did, returned the doctor with a sigh. You had better keep that paper to show Cyril. I must send you away now as Carter and the other boys are coming to me. I will see you later on. And then Michael took himself off. He could hear Audrey's voice as he passed the door of her sitting room. Molly was with her. A few minutes later, as he stood at his window wondering what he should do with himself, he saw her walk down the terrace towards the gate with Molly hanging on her arm. They seemed laughing and talking. How long will she wear that bright face? He said to himself as he threw himself into his easy chair and took up the paper. He had just fallen into a doze with booty stretched on the softest of rugs at his feet, when there was a light tap at his door, and to his surprise and discomposure, Cyril Blake entered the room. The visit was so wholly unexpected that Michael stared at him for a moment without speaking. Cyril had never come to his private sitting room before without a special invitation. I must apologise for this intrusion, Captain Bennett, began Cyril quickly. But I wanted to speak to you particularly. Were you asleep? I'm so sorry if I've disturbed you. No nonsense. I only felt drowsy because I have been out in this cold wind, and the room is so warm. Take a chair, Blake. I shall be wide awake in a moment. Have you seen the paper today? There is nothing in it. Only a remarkably stupid article on Bismarck. I will look at it by and by, but to tell you the truth, I have come to speak to you about my mother. I am seriously uneasy about her. Either she is ill or there is something grievously wrong. I understood from Molly that you were with her for more than an hour yesterday. In fact, that she sent for you. The fire had burnt hollow during Michael's brief nap, and he seized this opportunity to stir it vigorously into a blaze. It afforded him a momentary respite. A few seconds' reflection convinced him, however, that it was no use beating about the bush with a man of Cyril's calibre. The truth had to be told, and no amount of preparation would render it palatable. "'You are right,' he returned quietly. "'Mrs. Blake sent for me.' She thought that I should be able to help her in a difficulty. Cyril looked intensely surprised. I thought Molly must have made a mistake. It seems very strange that my mother... He stopped as though civility did not permit him to finish his sentence. But Michael perfectly understood him. It seems strange to you. Of course it does. My acquaintance with Mrs. Blake is so slight that it certainly gives me no right to her confidence but she was in trouble, in great trouble, I may say, and chance threw me in her way. And so, but here Cyril interrupted him. My mother in trouble, he returned incredulously, but Michael thought he looked a little pale. Excuse me, Captain Bennett, if I seem rude, but for my boy I have been my mother's friend. She has never kept anything from me. I find it almost impossible to believe that she would give that confidence to a comparative stranger which she would refuse to her son. May I beg you to speak plainly? I abhor mysteries. Cyril spoke impatiently and curtly. His tone was almost displeased. Michael took no offence. He regarded the young man very kindly. I abhor them too, he replied gravely. But I want you to understand one thing. It was a mere chance that brought me in Mrs. Blake's way at a moment when she needed assistance. I was only like any other stranger who sees a lady in difficulty. Now I have told you this, I can speak more plainly. I wish to heavens you would, returned Cyril with growing excitement. Do you know the impression you are giving me that there is some mysterious confidence between you and my mother? Is it too much to ask if I may know what this difficulty and trouble mean? No, Blake, you shall know all in good time. Replied Michael, with disarming gentleness. If I do not speak out at once, it is because I fear to give you too great a shock. Too great a shock? Yes. Your mother, out of mistaken kindness, has kept her children in ignorance all these years that they have a father living. He was not a father of whom they could be proud, and she tried to keep the fact of his existence from them. Wait a moment, exclaimed Cyril. The poor fellow had turned very white. I must take this in. What are you telling me, Burnett, that my mother, my widowed mother, has a husband living? I am telling you the truth. Are you ready to hear me say more? I will wait any time you like, but it is a long story and a sad one. Your mother has left me to tell it. Go on, Let me hear every word. Hide nothing. Nothing. Cyril spoke in a dull, stifled voice, as though he felt choking. When Michael began to speak, very slowly and quietly, he almost turned his back to him, and as the story proceeded, Michael noticed how he clutched the carved arms of his chair, but he did not once see his face. Michael afterwards owned that telling that miserable story to Oliver O'Brien's son was one of the toughest jobs he had ever done in his life. But he had no idea how well he did it There was not an unnecessary word. With the utmost care, he strove to shield the woman and to show her conduct in the best light. It was for her children's sake she did it, he said again and again, but there was no answering word from Cyril. He had been turned to stone his position could not have been more rigid have you understood me blake my poor dear fellow if you knew how sorry dr ross and i are for you then as michael mentioned dr ross's name cyril seemed galvanized into sudden life he knows he knows for god's sake give me air but before michael could cross the room Cyril had stumbled to the window and flung it up and stood there with the bitter east wind blowing on his face as though it were a refreshing summer breeze. The chill air made Michael shiver, but he knew by experience how intolerable was that sense of suffocation, and he stood by patiently until that dead feeling had passed. ''Are you better now, Blake? My poor fellow, can you sit down and speak to me?'' Then Cyril turned his face toward him, and Michael was shocked to see how strained and haggard he looked. Does she know too? Not yet. Her father will tell her. Then the poor boy shuddered from head to foot. I will make her give me up. Oh my God. How can I bear it? Binette, I think I shall go mad. Tell me it is not true. And my mother has not lied to me all these years. At least she has lied for her son's sake. But he knew how futile were his words, as he saw the bitter contempt in Cyril's honest eyes. I will never forgive her. She has ruined my life. She has made me wish that I were dead. I will never, never. But Michael interrupted him somewhat sternly. Hush, hush. You do not know what you are saying. She is your mother, Blake. Nothing can alter that fact. She has deceived us all. No, I will not speak. Nothing can make it better or worse. If I lose Audrey, I do not care what becomes of me. Michael looked at him pityingly. Do you think you ought to marry her, Blake? Then Cyril flung away from him with a groan. Even in his misery he understood that appeal to his generosity. But he put it from him. He was too much stunned, too dazed altogether to follow out any train of reasoning. In a vague sort of way, he understood two facts, that he and Kester and Molly were disgraced, and that his mother, the mother whom he adored, had deceived him. Beyond this he could not go. The human mind has limits. Afterwards, in the chill hour of darkness and solitude, Michael's words would come back to him. Do you think you ought to marry her, Blake? Do you think you ought to marry her?